Welcome to The Reserve, a news and thoughts podcast from the Centralverse. I'm your host, Caleb Nygaard, and today is episode number 32. Uh, we have got a great docket of, uh, of hit pieces from the one and only uh, Stephen Kelly today. Stephen, uh, good to have you. Hey, Caleb. So we're going to start, uh, like I said, you've got, we're going to talk about kind of three big areas, uh, news that you're, that you're breaking or, or making big, big comments on, uh, shaking, uh, shaking this, this Fed policy world. And, uh, and we're going to start, they're all related to uh, kind of emergency lending stuff. And, and I want to start with the, uh, the discount window uh, and the 13-3 activities from the spring of 2020. Uh, we got some some information. We got some data about those, and uh, just a week, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I just want you to, if you don't mind, just start by telling us, you know, what information did we get, and why did we get it? Yeah. So March thirty first uh, was a big data dump day, um, and and not a lot of fanfare around it. It wasn't a you know, yeah. the Fed sends a tweet. It, it's sort of. Uh, you know, I just had the calendar. I had the calendar reminder, so I didn't forget. Uh, when did you set that calendar reminder? <laughs> <laughs> oh, before COVID even happened. I yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so we we got a, a, a good chunk of data on the thirty first, and it's not everything yet. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll go into, I guess, some of the distinction. But this, sure. so this is a little different than even in two thousand eight. So two thousand eight. This data on the emergency lending facilities and the discount window was all confidential. Um, Dodd-Frank gets passed in 2010, which requires the release of the emergency lending data from the crisis era, the facility data. And then it requires the release of this sort of data on a go-forward basis as well, as well as from the discount window. Importantly, it doesn't require the Fed to release the discount window data from the crisis. But Bloomberg gets that with a Freedom of Information Act request. And then they kind of that kind of blows up into this whole thing because it got reported in all these weird ways where like overnight loans were, were all summed together. So there was all these headlines that it was like $20 trillion of lending <laughs> and all, all, all these right. things. Yeah. Um, there's actually a letter Bernanke writes to Congress, which maybe you can throw in the links. It's just yeah. somewhat humorous, just, just for its, it, 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 you know, it almost has a vibe of like, uh, like Trump going on Twitter to like refute a story. Like he, he I, I, it's sort of, it's a little bizarre in the central banking world. He writes this long yeah. letter to Congress. Here's all the reasons the article's bad. Uh, these articles don't mention this and this and this. They don't mention we made a profit, all this stuff. It's kind of, yeah. it's, it's, it's very, uh, very uh, uncharacteristic. But so Dodd-Frank, Dodd-Frank requires that the Fed uh, now, some, now release this data at the most a year after a facility, emergency lending facility is closed and for the discount window and really any open market operations, which is inclusive of the discount window, okay. uh, two years after the action occurs. Yep. So we, we, sort of got, we sort of got an overlapping of these things because the CP, the commercial paper funding facility, the money markets uh, liquidity facility and the primary dealer credit facility those three, we did not have transaction level data on, um, and those all closed March 31st, 2021. Got it. So, so one year after that, that's, that's this past March 31st, we get all the, we get all that data. The discount window data is released on a two-year lag at the end of the quarter. 
um, from when it occurs. So what we got was the discount window data through March 31st, which is basically the, you know, the only time the discount window was at all really used or relevant. And it was maybe not even relevant yeah. um, through COVID. Uh, so we got, and we, and we also get line by line transaction data on uh, the Fed's treasury interventions, for instance, those are open yeah. market operations. So you know, that's not terribly interesting, big deal. The Fed bought treasuries from, from Bank of America, like not right. super interesting, but we have it. Yeah. Um, and we got that through March 31st of 2020. So what we're still waiting on is we'll get the FEMA data. So this is, this is semi-interesting because this is new. This is the new repo facility for sort of international transactions um, of treasuries basically. So we, we don't know who has borrowed from this facility. And it didn't really, they, the Fed announced it on March 31st, um, 2020. So we'll get it. We'll start to get that next quarter. We'll see who borrowed from this. This I forget exactly what the acronym is for, but it's this foreign repo treasury facility, which was introduced to sort of stop the foreign sell-off from you know official sellers of treasuries um, off of this repo facility. So we'll find out who borrowed from that June 30th, most likely. Interesting. And that one so, and just to, to clarify on, on that one, that one, because I asked this of somebody uh, a, a couple of weeks ago in a conversation and neither of us knew, that is, so we will find out who accessed to that facility. And, and there again, that's the ones that probably is only used by those that don't have kind of direct swap lines. Right, um, right. With so the, and it's kind of for the rest of the world. But I think I, I brought it up with somebody in a conversation about Russia, wondering if they had uh, had had access to it. And I presume that what will be released will be only people that used it. And is, is that right? It won't yes, have like a yes. list. Oh, we don't know necessarily who has access. Is that right? Or? Yep. 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 That's okay. right. Um, okay. I know, I know um, Joseph Wang, you know, most famous yeah. known as Fed guy. Uh, he, yeah. he has kind of characterized it as, as a China repo facility because yeah. they're yeah. sort of the, the main Big. holder of treasuries that doesn't have direct swaps access. And yeah. you know, as has been been well covered now in the, in all the Russia news, the Ru Russia had been diversifying away. I mean, right. It, it happened more in the last year or two, but Russia had been diversifying away from dollars, um, particularly dollar assets held in the US. So um, I don't know, you know, the extent to which I mean, they certainly couldn't couldn't be doing it now uh, given right, the central right. bank sanctions anyways, sure. but sure. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll find that data out. You know, we should find it out June 30th. Okay. There goes another uh, another uh, uh, calendar reminder reminder to be yeah. to be added. Right. <laughs> and, and notably too, so the not not all the data was kept confidential. So for instance, we have data that we shouldn't have had yet, um, and we got data much earlier because the Fed didn't keep everything confidential. So <laughs> there's sort of some weird rules written into Dodd Frank, but um, Basically, the new the new disclosure rules are the Fed has to within seven days of the facility they have to issue they have to give a report to the Senate Banking and the House the House Finance Financial Committees, um, sort of detailing the new facility, and then every thirty days they have to do an update. Um, weirdly, the 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 Fed can keep the identities and all identifying data confidential from the committees, but in that instance, it has to give them to the chair of the ranking member. So I don't know if it, so like, I guess the idea is like, oh, if you give it to the whole committee, like they're too gossipy, like somebody's going to leak out. it. Yeah. Because, because there, there is nothing specifically in that that says, 
okay, if you give it to the whole committee, you also have to publish it to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, what the law says is you, you have to publish it to the world within a year of the closure of the facility. Okay. Um, so this, this, it's sort of like an extra, extra item of confidentiality. Yeah. Um, and so what the CARES Act said, and now we're getting specifically into COVID, but the CARES Act said, hey, Fed, any facility you use that, that uses CARES Act funds, any emergency facility that uses CARES Act funds, whatever you submit to Congress, you have to, you have to put on your website. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. So, so a lot of, the, and, and that doesn't say, okay, you have to put the identities on the website because if they submitted something to Congress and they withheld the confidential information, um, you know, then they wouldn't have, then they could have just put the same thing on their website. But in the event, any of the facilities that use it, used CARES Act money were not, the identities were not withheld. There was no confidentiality use. So the only ones where the Fed took this confidentiality to the full year um, or at all yeah. were these, these sort of money markets facilities. The rest were, you know, like the Main Street Lending Program, the corporate bond facilities, uh, the Muni Market Facility. And I, I, generally the idea here is like stigma doesn't yeah. matter as much, okay. um, which I think is most compelling in the case of muni borrowing because the sort of muni borrowing, what I've heard um, from Fed folks is like, okay, the muni borrowing process is super public. Yeah. Sometimes they have to pass something or, or, you know, there's like all this public paperwork basically. So like the idea of a muni bond, you know, somehow being causing stigma is like not a real thing. Right. Um, or at okay. least the Fed being involved. Um, right. Interesting. And the main street stuff, you know, the, the main street stuff and there's like the PPPLF. Um, yep. So we got this transaction level data month by month. Um, even the TALF, the, the, the asset back facility, the, the Fed gave us this all kind of kind of month by month transaction level data. So we have that. So we'll get the official, you know, we got the sure. official one year release, but it's identical to what we were getting every month anyways. Yeah. Um, and the, the PPPLF, which was open through July of 2021, we'll get the official one year release this year. But we already we already know we already have every uh, have yeah. transaction level data. OK, um, so it was really just these money market facilities that the Fed took this confidentiality, yeah. which makes sense because it's sort of runnable financing and things like right. that. Okay. So, 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 okay. So that's the perfect setup then to just ask what, uh, was there anything interesting in the, in, in the, in the data itself? Uh, I'm not remember. really. Yeah. Not really. Right. And it, it's, you know, I've said this to other folks, but it's, it's so easy to get, to sort of get lulled into making conclusions from the results yeah. of emergency lending facilities, but you, you really cannot because it's either like two, it's, it's two opposite conclusions. One is like, okay, nothing, subs, nothing of substance happened. Therefore, um, you know, these facilities must have been poorly designed or the, too punitive. And right. the, other, the other conclusion is nothing of substance happened. The Fed was so quick to roll it out. Like the announcement effect was huge. It healed the market all by itself. Yeah. Right. So, the, so these are like exact opposite conclusions. Yeah. Um, what about a third? What about a third option that I know you've commented on as well? I think on Twitter, there was kind of this movement that happened. I know JP Morgan was was putting mm-hmm. out stuff coming up into the crisis. But before it had happened, they said like, hey, we should all kind of join hands and use these facilities on a semi, you know, maybe regular or like trying to take away the stigma. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, did any of that story that kind of story come through in any of this yeah so so 
that that was really about the discount window and sort of removing the the stigma from ongoing use of the discount window because that is an on you know it's a standing credit you know it's standing available credit it's not supposed to be for crises um and there is a little bit of that because yeah like like just before covid was kind of real and and maybe you know jp morgan at all were really reading the tea leaves but <laughs> um you know it, it it's it seems less likely that that's the case yeah um so kind of just before covid randall quarles gives this speech um sort of encouraging destigmatizing the, the discount window and then you get some comments from banks that are saying okay we're gonna we're going to destigmatize and we're going to, we're going to try to make more regular use of the discount window. Um, So there is some of that and, and to look at the transaction level data and, you know, which I'm sort of, I'm sort of like dubious about the fact that we released this now because there is like a real stigma concern. Um, You know, it it is an open question of is two years enough um, and and things like that. So uh, there's, there's sort of a, just to get sidetracked for a second, the the, sure. the some Fed lawyers get it's like a speech or a statement from mm-hmm. from around the time of Dodd Frank being passed, and they basically said like, oh yeah, you know we understand like we like this balance of you know transparency and 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 democratic accountability, but like don't make it any sooner, like don't don't like don't make it any You're playing with fire here. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, so, but yes, so there is some of this where, especially right at COVID, all the big banks say, we're going to use the discount window. Um, and then there, there's actually kind of a semi-humorous article that 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 sort of foreshadows the Archegos situation, actually, oh, because nice. because the all the big banks agree they're going to use the discount window. And then it's like, it's like Friday or something. And the article is like, Morgan Stanley uses the discount window. And then they're like, Oh, Morgan Stanley thought everybody was going to use it today. Like maybe the rest of them are going to use it next week. So it was kind of reminiscent of like, oh, Morgan Stanley, like, you know, who's forget like Credit Suisse forgetting to do the fire sale. Yeah, exactly. Know, trying to get out in time. Um, but so they, they all end up kind of doing that. And the discount window data is super uninteresting. There's one yeah. big borrow from Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. um, for $5 billion. But it, again, it's, it's quickly repaid. Um, and it's the repayment is sort of happening on the days that these statistics are reported hmm. um, or like shortly thereafter. So it's, it, it, it all seems very performative and, yeah. Yeah. and, and uninteresting, yeah. um, at, least, at least as far as the big banks are concerned. Yeah. And, uh, and then on the, uh, the, is there any other things worth commenting on with regard to the, the other emergency 13-3 facilities? Again, it's, it's, you know, you, you make any comments and you risk sort of, sort of being one of these hand wavers. Yeah, yeah. Like this Fed, person needed it. Yeah. yeah, right, right. So, you know, there's nothing that was like, so, you know, so noteworthy. Um, the, the money market facilities weren't, weren't drawn on super heavily. Right. Um, the, you know, the discount window activity was elevated, but kind of not real, in my opinion, at least most of it was not real uh you know the volume level at least was sort of not real um the cpff was very lightly used mostly used internationally um the pdcf was sort of uninteresting there there is sort of a the the last few weeks of the pdcf or the last few months rather it's basically just uh it's basically just jeffrey's sort of borrowing against equities um Mm -hmm. jeffrey's and Cantor fitzgerald 
Okay. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I'm a little like 90% of the collateral after between September 1st, 2020, and when it closes on March 31st. Um, 2021 is all just equities and it's all Jeffries and Cantor Fitzgerald, um, which is like, okay, they're just getting like cheap margin financing. Exactly. You know, this is, this is kind of, if you want to open a facility and keep it open on a precautionary basis, like some of that's going to happen. Totally. Um, You know, and the Fed closed it and it just, it just is what it is. So again, not, not super interesting, but I think, I think the, the takeaway from watching the markets at the time and watching the code, you know, watching how COVID unfolded is, Okay, the Fed was very responsive. Like the announcement yep. effects were large here, um, and it's sort of a possible crisis averted. Right. Uh, yeah, and crisis. that whole timing thing on on disclosure is is interesting. In the U.S., both the the GFC and COVID, COVID even more so than the GFC. Uh, they in the U.S. the kind of the the the, the hottest part of the fire of crisis if there even you know to the degree that there was one even in 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 2020 uh was was very brief um mm-hmm. but even you look to just even europe and just these rolling cycles of of crises and the, they just last so much longer and and there's no i don't think there's necessarily a structural reason why the u.s couldn't find themselves in an unfortunate you know kind of uh what the doom spiral or whatever the their that term is for those and you get kind of just this in this trap where yeah then stuff starts coming out right as their problems are still continuing to happen two years does seem kind of brief mm-hmm. when you look outside of the u.s yeah for sure and, and you know we, we like to think that we're getting better at this financial crisis fighting and, and i think that we are um, but even to just superimpose sort of a two-year lag on 2008 you know, it's enough to make you nervous because there's sort of, there's a lot of tension, even early spring 2007. Yeah, um, right, right. And that's right, kind right. of like, yes. you know, it's very near yeah. the stress test coming out in 2009. Like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's right, all, you right. Know, if, if you're Citigroup in 2009, like <laughs> right. you're not loving yep. potentially the disclosure data, you know, depending right. on how you did in 2006 and seven. Um, exactly. On the liquidity front. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, so, so then, so then to, to our, to our, our second topic of, of 13, three, um, and this one's fun. So this is a, just a, a myth buster, uh, that, that you've done that is just phenomenal. Um, and it's a myth that I kind of accepted, uh, for, for, for many years, uh, to the point that, you know, I, I, I've, I've mentioned on the podcast before I would do these tours when I was at the Chicago fed, I volunteered to do tours of the money museum. And occasionally I would always try and sign up for like the, the econ university clubs or the, occasionally there would be like the, 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 the state bank uh, examiners from Iowa that would send a group or something. I always tried to sign myself up to do those because I knew they'd get interesting groups. And I'm almost certain that this was part of my, my description of the uh, emergency actions and how the fed handled. Uh, and so I, I am, I was also busted in this myth. So, so start just, you know, kind of briefly give us the myth uh, with uh, regard to how these 13, three facilities are set up uh, and then, and then bust it wide open for us. Yeah. So a lot of the 13, three facilities use a special purpose vehicle where the fed, you know, ever the entrepreneur, the fed is sort of starting <laughs> businesses 
um, you know, effectively shell companies, you know, they, they typically have no employees and things like that. You know, they're using the famous SPV structure um, to execute an emergency lending facility. So for instance, the municipal liquidity facilities, buying municipal loans, this was a special purpose vehicle. You know, it's sort of operated as a separate corporate entity uh, or a separate balance sheet, at least from the Fed. Uh, and, and the idea is, and, and this, this is the way 2008 had come to be discussed even by former fed officials you know i'm not gonna i don't have i don't have a list here i'm not gonna brood over who sure. was like perpetuated the myth but yeah. you know journalists congressional reports i mean you can google it it's it's pretty easy to find um this idea that oh the fed does this because 13.3 says the fed may discount and we typically you know discount against collateral for anybody and we sort of say oh discount is kind of sounds like a loan to us you know, it's sort of uh, you pay back maturity um, and therefore the Fed can only lend through 13.3. And so if it wants to do purchases, if it wants to buy assets, take them off the market, um, take them off a private sector balance sheet, it has to set up a company. The company has to buy the assets and then the Fed can lend to that company right. um, against the assets. And and this has really just been perpetuated as sort of received wisdom now. Yeah. Uh, the Fed has never said this. The Fed has never said, we're setting up an SPV. Um, because you know, it, we have to. Because this helps us perform our, our emergency lending function. You know, we need to do it to perform our emergency lending function or anything like that. No, no Fed official has ever said that. But in fairness to those who have, I mean, it's shown up in legal articles, the Fed is lending to itself. You know, in fairness, the Fed has also never said why it really does this. Um, yeah. And to 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 briefly plug, plug uh, the the book that YPFS Yale Program on Financial Stability yeah. assisted on, absolutely uh, the first responders. There there is a good section in there which talks about the use of the SPV um, for the maiden lane facilities, which was the Bear Stearns and the AIG rescues. Uh, but that doesn't give us a good explanation for why use it for the commercial paper funding facility. And the Fed never says it. It just says, you know, even in the term sheets, even in the FAQs. It says, because of the breakdowns in the markets, we set up an SPV and invoke 13.3. You know, so you don't, and it's not always clear why, you know, because anything that you can sort of try to assume, you go, okay, well, what if it's because when they get treasury money, then they want to use an SPV? Well, there's all these cases where they've gotten, you know, for instance, the money market liquidity facility had treasury support. It did not use an SPV. Right. So then yeah. it's okay. So then, and there's situations where they have no treasury money and they do use an SPV. Right. Uh, you know, so it's what if you're doing this market or you're doing this, you're lending versus purchase, you know, there are even situations where the SPV, for instance, the TALF, the asset back facility, this is a lending facility and they use an SPV. Right. So that sort of gets rid of the purchases explanation. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, I, the, the, the sort of what I shared was on, on Twitter and that thread you're mentioning was a memo from the very first extension of 13.3 credit in 2008, which was the Maiden Lane facility. Uh, well, technically it was the Thursday night loan to, to JP Morgan, the overnight loan. And then it was the Maiden Lane facility um, was the second one the next day or the, that weekend. Um, and basically there's this memo that came out, it came out through litigation uh, and it came out through litigation and then the Fed released it sort of to the congressional record Oh, okay. Uh, submitted to the congressional record, but it's this memo from early 2008 where the Fed is saying, 
it's sort of discussing the legality of the main lane facility. And basically what they do is they, there's this whole section about how, look, discount means whatever. It means a loan, <laughs> it means a purchase. This is not a new interpretation of the word discount. Yeah. Um, this is long how the Fed has viewed it. Um, and it's sort, you know, it's sort of an old banking word. Like you could, you know, basically how they used to factor receivables was kind of discounting them. Oh, I'm going to buy this this sort of receivable from you, and that's that's right. the discount, right? So basically, the this Fed memo from early 2008 says, look, discount is advances, discount is purchases. Um, you know, so it, we're going to evaluate this SPV on a look through basis, and basically what we what they assess. What they say in there is like we've looked at it both ways. We've looked at it as a a loan to an SPV um, that gives us the collateral that fits within 13.3, and we've looked at it as let's assume the the SPV is part of the Fed, and we're just buying the assets. Does that fit within 13.3? And the answer is yes, it does. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they've been thinking about this since day one. So then you're left with sort of the question of well, why the hell does the Fed use the SPV? <laughs> right. And what we've found basically is it just makes life hell of a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so it, it sort of makes the reporting easier. Yeah. Uh, you can get it You can sort of get the entity audited much easier. So the, the facilities that use SPVs put out annual financial statements in parallel with the feds. Okay. So we have annual financial statements for the MLF and for the MSLP, which, which we don't have for say the, the primary dealer credit facility, which doesn't use an SPV. Now, why the Fed cares about having a separate audited balance sheet, I'm not exactly sure, right. um, but there, but it does it does make life easier in that sense. But it, it also just makes the management of these entities easier, from what I understand. Um, you have separate staff working on separate facilities, uh, so it makes the reporting of income and assets, and I, I I think it makes the process of facilitating an audit simpler. Yep. Uh, because you have sort of these these sort of siphoned off balance sheets and it's not all pooled into the feds the feds wider balance sheet uh they're also very inexpensive to set up so you know it's 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 very incidental to sort of the feds authority right uh they, they've cited they've cited um section four of the federal reserve act which which specifically references like incidental powers uh as shall be necessary to carry on the business of banking within the limitations of the law um, nice. so they, they've sort of cited that as this is our authority. It's sort of this incidental thing that just makes life easier. Right. Uh, and, and one other thing that they, that has been mentioned is this idea of corporate separation. So you sort of have separate corporate entities doing the, the various lending facilities. So if say one of them gets sued or one of them undergoes losses. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. Sort of, there's sort of not this question of who owns what, who has claims to what, and then who's who has liability. Um, but it's 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 been made clear this is really just because you know Treasury puts in different money for each of them. They have different capital structures. They 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 show up at different times. Yeah. Um, you know the different facilities come up different different dates. They have different timelines, different maturities, different assets, different counterparties. Uh, basically, all these things help make it easier, and and some of that, some of it also is they exist in different places. Some of them are the Federal Reserve Bank in New York, and some are in Boston. So, um, in in theory, they could be you know at any Reserve Bank yep. running them. Um, so, anyways, it's sort of a, it's sort of a combination of these factors that sort of all are just like small things, but you know it's like why the hell not? It makes our life easier, yeah. makes things neater, but yeah. there is no legal necessity to set up the SPV, you know, it could all be done on directly on balance sheet. Um, it just yeah. sort of simplifies things.
yeah and and presumably probably can be a a selling point as a the the whole yeah the whole uh you know the whole idea of like it if it takes losses you know i I imagine that the messaging around for especially talking to somebody like congress much less the public the messaging of talking about that if it's an spv versus if it's uh, you know straight directly on the feds balance sheet Mm -hmm. i could imagine that being a communication asset as as well Right. And, and we, we saw in 2022, there was a little bit of controversy over, you know, Mnuchin wanted the money back yeah. and the Fed didn't. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a certain question of what if the Treasury and the Fed don't agree on something? I mean, the, the, the Treasury Secretary has to sign off, you know, on 33 facilities and all that. But there is a distribution of, of income that occurs, you know, at, at, at sort of given ratios. And what if one facility makes money and one doesn't? You know, how does that sort of get settled? And the other piece here, which has not been terribly relevant, but could be in theory, is the equity piece need not belong collectively to the government. So sort of these injections for losses or the sort of junior tranche in these facilities, junior tranche in these facilities need not belong to the government. There are interesting ways to structure these where the private sector is involved. Yeah. Um, and then it's really a question of, you know, then you're really maybe more at risk of, of getting gone after by somebody for profits or, or losses or uh, you know, the question not, of uh, this facility the Bear Stern was situation, general. right? With Yeah, so Bear, the, the main lane facilities, which are no longer legal because they were directed at an individual institution. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, but you know, there are, you can structure a way, you can structure a broader facility that way. And um, there, there, there was an unused facility that sort of used um, this, this MMIFF in 2008 that sort of required its borrowers to buy into a junior tranche. Um, so, you, you know, it, cool. I'm not getting used, but, cool. but you can start to imagine that the people want some income. They, they feel they're owed some income from these facilities. And anyways, it's, it's, it helps to have them, have okay. them separated. Cool. Well, listeners, if you, if you didn't happen to see uh, uh, Stephen's uh, Twitter thread, we'll include it there, but uh, note that you heard it here. Uh, you heard it here first. Uh, talk this away into your Fed legal binder, uh, baby, for the next, uh, next, next crisis. Uh, this is fun. Um, okay, so, uh, so, so on to our, our last emergency facility and we're moving out into into the the speculative future here mm-hmm. and this is based on both uh, you had a, a an awesome column uh in at bloomberg uh as well as a not substack uh, uh substack uh letter that you drop occasionally uh some some stuff that 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 fits uh that expands beyond a a 10 point you know you haven't i should be partly offended you haven't really adopted my uh 87 uh thread uh twitter strategy <laughs> which i which i which i respect uh <laughs> yeah you know i would i just i can't keep track of it myself twitter 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 blocks you at 25 you have to do them in these 25 such it's a pain in the ass so I, you're, you're, <laughs> See, you're, I, that's something i don't even want to find out exactly. i don't want to have to learn no one that. should no one should no one should so so give us the uh yeah yeah so uh so, so give us the 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 pitch on 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 your take on commodities um and then just kind of want to hear hear more about it yeah so really i mean the impetus uh, and i i assume a lot of your listeners are odd lots listeners so they yeah. sort of heard heard sort of the and obviously they're news readers so you know we we know the commodity markets are going haywire and really yep. really what um what prompted this all originally was 
Well, it was two things. One was this letter from sort of this European Federation of Energy Traders, which is basically just big banks and you know uh, energy firms and brokers, um, trade uh, commodity trading houses. Like it, it's their sort of lobbying group, and they submitted this. They wrote this letter saying, "Hey, central banks, we want some help. You know, we're getting these crazy margin calls." Um, and so I, I wrote that original sort of non-piece piece to just sort of. Uh, analyze the Fed's legal authority because yeah. what, where I knew, because this is, it's, it's similar enough to this climate stuff and yep. the climate stuff that became so controversial in 2020, the lending to oil firms and the expansion of the Main Street facility in a way that looked like it was specifically helping oil firms um, that I, I kind of wanted to get ahead of that and just say, look, let's look at the Fed's authority. Can they do this? Um, you know, how, how should they be thinking about this? And then, you know, then it turned into that op-ed of, again, it, it was written as a, it was written as a, here's how the authority works. Here's why such a facility would be well within the authority and why, you know, the Fed should just be thinking about this um, and why this facility may, may, and the market should be thinking about this and why this sort of may become necessary. Um, you know, of course, all the, 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 the vitriol that was in my inbox was all, you know, stop bailing everybody out and then uh -huh. all this stuff, you know, the typical you know, sort of what I found was it was it was the money markets folks and the banking folks and, and academics and markets folks that that liked it. And then it was sort yeah. of the sort of the equity traders and, and sort of the, you know, the, the casual observer that really hated it yeah. um, because yeah. they sort of read it as you're trying to bail out these people. And sure. Um, but I, I wrote it for the former group. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, but yeah, got lots of got lots of funny emails from the latter group, you know, your obedient servant, you know, MD, whatever. Um, but, uh, so that, that was a reward in its own right. But anyways, that, that's sort of the impetus is I wanted to sort of look at the legal authority, um, and particularly get out ahead of like, this isn't just, can the Fed lend to BP to help them meet margin calls? Because that's not really like a systemic concern. That's probably not, you know, within the authority or what we want the Fed to be doing at least. Yeah. Interesting. So, so, so talk to us then also, I mean, here again, in the, in this, this hypothetical, uh, possibly near future, um, depending on, on the way that the, the, the war in, 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 in Ukraine goes and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and how different countries react to, uh, you know, to, uh, energy prices and, and things like that. There are a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of political incentives from a lot of different angles within the country and in, in international markets. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot going on here. So things could happen. Um, but one thing that, uh, that we've talked about that I wanted to get your uh, piece on is uh, this would be an interesting time to be deploying an emergency facility, given that we're in the cycle of monetary policy that we're on in a in a in a steep upward climb, tightening mm -hmm. tightening policy. Uh, so I was wondering if you could talk more about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we I've sort of said this too. We sort of think about. Section three. We've sort of come to think about Section thirteen three facilities as like QE on steroids because we yeah. typically, that's typically the order of things, right? We cut rates and then things get really bad. Rates aren't bad, you know. Rates and, and treasury buying isn't helpful enough that we do. Mm -hmm. Then we open a thirteen three facility, but that's really not what they are at all. Right? Um, they really are there for the Fed in unusual and exigent circumstances, um, and when unusual and exigent circumstances are impeding their mandate. Um, and there are these other restrictions that I kind of go through, you know, it has to be directed at financial markets. It has to be, you know, 
it has to get there's all these other legal you know sort of sure. riders attached to it but it's really not qe and th this is you know I've, I've kind of tried to drive this home and and it, again you know there has to be an usual legend circumstances and all this thing so it's not it's also not a here's how to tighten with without you know and with minimum stress um, yeah. <laughs> but in this case, there really are, there really are unusual negligent circumstances. Obviously there's a war going on, you know, yeah. um, and, and all these, and for all these other reasons, there's markets shutting, literally shutting down. Right. So, yeah. um, that standard could be met, I think. Um, so, so, uh, you know, and, and for those who, who, who follows Zoltan Pissar's work, he's, he's sort of worried about, okay, the fed is tightening. It's sort of draining reserves, right. That what, 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 Meanwhile, we have this financial market volatility that's sort of raising the desired level of reserves. Are we going to run into a September 2019, yep. you know, sort of demand supply imbalance in the reserve market? Um, and, and I think this is maybe maybe a neat solution to this because it's not clear. I would say it. I would say it is clear that the Fed should not be holding off from tightening to accommodate this potential shortage of liquidity in these markets. Sure. Um, and, and, and as I said before, we're not to the point of intervention yet. This is really a Fed should be ready because, you know, yeah. this stuff, as we all know, this stuff can happen overnight, basically. Um, financial markets can really unwind overnight, but, but I don't think we're to the point of them intervening. Um, but anyways, the, you know, we're in unusual negligence circumstances, potentially, especially if things get worse, especially if we get to the point of intervention. Yeah. And this could really be a way to fine tune and get reserves to where they're supposed to go will st still, you know, reducing the overall supply of reserves. Um, so this could sort of be a neat solution. And there, there's sort of this forgotten bit um, from the 1960s where the Fed actually invoked Section 13.3 twice. Yeah. Um, and, and it never lent under, you know, we always talk about it as it happened in the 2008 for the first time since the Great Depression. And that's true for lending, but the Fed did invoke it twice in the 1960s. And that's because not all banks used to have access to the Fed. And there was a rising rate environment in the 60s, tw uh, you know, twice over. Um, and, and the Fed was essentially worried about these banks getting squeezed on their funding rates. Um, and so it invoked Section 13.3 in that case as well. So not that there needs to be a precedent for it, but there is a precedent for it. Absolutely. Um, and and I, I don't think it's necessarily in contrast. In fact, I think it could facilitate the Fed continuing its tightening path. You know, we saw from the March minutes, the Fed said, look, most people wanted 50 basis points, but because of the situation in Ukraine, we only did 25 basis points. Yep. Um, you know, so it, it's already sort of complicating their mission a bit. Yep. Um, and this is sort of a neat solution that if it comes to it, you know, could sort of fit in to a tightening cycle um, in a way that it's not typically thought about. Yeah, it almost serves as a pressure valve on the without right on, which on. which again it, it's not you know it's, it's not a repo facility yeah. like which yeah. which i mean that's the perfect that's the analogy though for if you're already in unusual negligent circumstances let's assume all the legal requirements are met it really is sort of like the same repo facility um like you know like the discount window like these sort of other broad um broad sort of release release valves like you said yeah interesting fascinating so those are three big, three big hits on the uh, uh, Fed's emergency lending, lending stuff. Anything that, uh, anything that we missed there, or anything? Uh, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll say one, one additional, one additional thing, and I didn't write yeah. this in, in either of the pieces. Sure. But this is just based on my thinking from some of the feedback. Some of the feedback, um, you know, one thing I say in both pieces is, 
the the ability for the Fed to be secured seems very easy in this in this type of situation because the the reason for the liquidity demands is these assets are going up in value. You know, this is not a 2008 where you have very questionable assets. Um, you know, the, sort of the idea of lending against commodity sales is sort of like classic central banking, right? Like agricultural, like elastic currency, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, but there's certainly an argument that there's a lot of volatility still going on here. And it's in both directions. It's not 2008 where the volatility is only down. It's not what we saw in March where the, where the you know, price path of these commodities is only up. Um, so there's certainly risk. And I think there, there, there's another interesting piece here where the Fed could actually as part of the collateral it takes, it could also take the corresponding hedge. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So this is a, this is actually another thing that sort of falls into the Fed's sort of incidental authorities, cool. um, sort yeah, of yeah. incidental to being collateralized and taking the assets that it does take as security. Um, it's taken some derivatives before, and and um, it's sort of argued, oh, these are sort of incidental to the other assets that we're taking, because yeah. right, obviously, you know, margin is going to go up and down, and you you can't rely totally on margin to like be there as collateral forever, but there is some security involved. Um, and th- th- there's a, I can give you the link for this too. There's a yeah, please. sort of a, another memo that got submitted to the congressional record. It came out in litigation um, again, related to AIG where there, it's sort of a draft memo that the fed wrote uh, about their authority to take warrants um, as part okay. of, as part of emergency lending. And the memo is mostly about, can the Fed actually extract warrants, um, you know, as part of its authority. And it basically says, yes, this is sort of incidental. This is like classic business of banking. This is what other banks would do. Um, and there's a piece in there too, where it also says, uh, you know, these warrants may help us become secured. Um, Got it. You know, you're, you're, not, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna do a whole loan based on just equity warrants, right? But, but sure. it's another piece. Um, that, that can add to the security of these things. So um, I, I wanted to get that bit in there because that, that is a good piece, you know, that is a good concern of like, well, how is the Fed going to get secured in, in these, yep. in the, you know, sort of, you know, the stuff you're lending against, this is obviously very risky. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that would be an interesting way. I don't think the Fed needs to, like I said, these, these, these trading houses and these commodities traders, they, they tend to have big net long positions, way bigger than their, than their shorts could ever be. Sure. Um, and really, they're just short on credit. Um, yep. But in the event the Fed really, you know, was nervous about it, that that is another option um, available to the Fed. That that again is is well within its its authority. Yeah, that, this is this whole conversation has just been has just been really fun and uh, uh, just kind of highlights the uh, sophistication and the kind of both also just excite intrigue and the politics and the, the legal and, and all sorts of stuff about, about emergency lending, which mm-hmm. is arguably like the, you know, the defining feature of the central bank. And yeah. the last 15 years have been, you, it, it just seems like a really fascinating there's been a, just a fascinating progression uh in that and these next steps that you're talking about would fit would not be leaps and bounds would not be you know it'd be a much smaller step to do these kind of things than it was in 2008 to do the weekend of bear stearns kind of activity. sure right yeah that's a good point and um yeah and, and I'll, i'm gonna give you another link too. the the dallas fed put out a short piece this past week um basically saying looking at this idea of possibly having to lend to commodities, you know, commodities traders and 
<laughs> yeah. and, and, and they talk about this briefly and they, and they, they make the, the point of, you know, hey, the bar to lending to non-regulated entities is high. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that is an important, that is an important feature. And, and they say, you know, well, but things are bad enough. We're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to watch this, but it's also, it's also a little interesting to me that it comes out of the Dallas Fed. Cause that makes me curious of in the event that there was a facility, would it be run out of Dallas? Um, which, which would be fascinating, especially because they don't have a president right now. But that's what I was going to say. They're going to bring it. Yeah, it's exactly. That's exactly right. We were. Yeah, they're going to bring in somebody on. I think it was David Beckworth brought in. Uh, mentioned uh, Bill Nelson's name. Uh, dropped his name yeah. on, on the on the thing. Somebody very familiar with emergency facilities. <laughs> right, right. Or or commodities. Right. They could. Be yeah. In, uh, yes. Jeff Curry or something. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Oh man. Dick exactly. Cheney. Yeah. <laughs> it's we're we're in for exciting times. Yeah. Um all right cool. Uh we will uh wrap it there then. Uh Stephen as always uh is at Stephen Kelly 49 and I'm at Caleb Nygard. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>